0: Welcome to the Les Represent podcast, the podcast about everything lesbian and lady-loving queer. Uh, Today, I have a super special guest. I'm hoping to learn so many things from her, and I just, ah, I'm super excited, but I'm going to let her introduce herself.
1: Hi there. I'm um, Kathleen Knowles. Um, That's my regular name. I can go by Kathy, Kathleen. um, I am... Sixty-four years old. I live in San Francisco, California. Uh, I recently retired. I used to work for the University of California at San Francisco. Um, I am also a writer of lesbian fiction, uh, some contemporary, some historical uh, romance-type fiction. And that's what I'm uh, focusing on for the most part right right now, that I don't have to have a regular nine-to-five job. Anymore, and I'm very happy to to be talking today with um, Erica and letting her know a little bit about my background, what I write, um, about basically anything that that uh, comes up.
0: And who doesn't love a little bit of romance? Like it always <laughs> it always makes me sad when people are like, "Yeah, I write romance," and like they almost like are ashamed of it because I'm just like, "No, no, 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 I don't." I don't believe at all that any story is complete without a little bit of romance in it. Even if it's just like for a moment, I feel like it's just a daily part of our lives and it it shouldn't be, shouldn't be shamed. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be like, Oh, you write, you write this. And it's just like, well, yeah, you can shove it, Brad. I don't care. I like it.
1: (laughs) Yes. I am aware of that view of, of, of romance fiction, and I, I kind of had that view of it myself because I read a little bit of uh, regular heterosexual romance fiction when I was like a teenager. I, I have read uh, read so many different kinds of uh, genres of literature. I, I read that as well, and the only thing I recall about that specifically was that there was some historical fiction uh the romance uh, novels that I read that I really, really liked. I, I thought they were really interesting. I think I must have been attracted to the to the history uh a- aspect of them. Uh what happened was I started reading it about 10 10 years ago. I had a friend, uh actually that I met online who was who is Dutch and uh, we were on a website where I was writing some, some fan fiction and she was one of my, uh, one of my readers and I got to be friends with her and she told me about all this stuff that she likes to read, which was uh bold strokes, uh, books, r- romance. What kind of fan fiction did you write? Well, this is really funny. I didn't write Xena. Um, I didn't write, um, uh, Scully from the X-Files or any other of those, those commonly, as I consider it commonly, uh, uh, common sources for 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 fan fiction but you might remember a little movie called Loving Annabelle that came out in, oh um, my god you you remember that
0: yeah so I, I actually didn't like that movie for a number of reasons <laughs> but I did watch it it was like a mandatory well here's a lesbian student teacher and I went oh I'm there even though I didn't enjoy walking away from it but uh no go ahead I just,
1: it It wasn't a happy ending and so it was it was was the opposite of a happy ending so I think what 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 I thought the movie was relatively well well made although it was way too short and one of my friends joked that that it was so short it practically begged to have the story continued so uh I wrote stories um that that picked up from where the movie basically left off and and went went on from there and I wrote it on a site online and oh, a a bunch of other people were uh
0: I mean can I have this site so I can read it because I'm sure your version
1: of it's going to be better than the movie <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it actually is up anymore and oh um, I'm I'm sorry to say that but one of the things on my to- to-do list is I could just make my own website and post all of my, my story versions of it online as free, you know, literature for people to read. But in any case, I got um, a following. I became addicted to uh, people's responses to what I was writing. <laughs> and my my Dutch friend said to me, you know, you're unlike a lot of people on this site. You, I think, are actually a writer. And I thought, well, I always wanted to write. I have written short stories. I have thought about it probably my, my whole life. And so I, I read the books that she recommended from bold strokes books and I enjoyed them. I, and the fact that they were lesbian romance made it, uh, a difference. And they were not, they were better than they were actually, honestly, Erica, I read a lot of lesbian fiction before then because like I said, I read everything and I thought the romance, uh, uh, books that I was was reading uh, were were actually uh, quite, quite good. And I said, you know, I could write a story like this. I really could. So I did. Um, I wrote a historical novel and I sent it to Bold Strokes Books. And um, the publisher called me and said, like this. I want to publish it. I like the characters. And that was like, this was wonderful because I um, in publishing, that really doesn't happen the first time. A lot of times, uh, it, sometimes people have to try it a few times before they're uh, they're ex- accepted. According to a friend of mine who is a publisher, who said that that's that's a tremendous thing to have have happen. And so I was on my way, and this was just ten years ago. So
0: that's awesome. I I mean, congratulations on writing a book because I know that that is hard. That is some hard It, it is uh,
1: really fun, though. No? It's um, it's really fun, and it it's wonderful to have it published and have people read it and tell you that they like it. That's a great feeling. So that was my first my first novel. It's called Awake Unto Me, and it's published by Bold Strokes Books. I have to do the self advertisement. You understand? That's what of writers. Of course, of course. Do. And uh, uh, re- recently actually reviewed on on the um. Les, lesbian uh, on the lesbian review site.
0: Oh, yeah. I don't know why
1: I decided to go back into time and pick something that's really you know quite quite a few years uh, uh, a few years old now so that was my first published work and I have uh, six others and I'm working on the uh, I'm working on the eighth book right now so anyway I'm totally fine and totally love writing romance uh, lesbian romance fiction um because everybody falls in love or everybody wants to fall in love and it's it's an experience that's both unique to the people that are having it and and universal it's something that uh most most people uh want to have and most people do have you meet somebody you fall in love um stuff is difficult <laughs> things happen it's either uh as they say it's either internal or external conflicts And so the lesbian romance fiction is all about overcoming whatever obstacles uh, there are uh, for the the two people involved. And and, and some people like the predictability of the ending. Some people don't like it because it it is a predictable ending. It's not, you know, you're not going to be surprised, right? If it's a romance novel, it's generally expected. That you will have a happy ending because that is what the genre represents. If you think that's dumb, then go read some other kinds of genres because there's lots of them. Lots I mean, of it's it's about books. the journey, so it is about the journey. It's about the two people, as they say. These books are character driven, so it's about the the two uh, protagonists, the two the two main character, um, their backgrounds, their characters, their personalities, and. Um, how they how they find each other, how they fall in love and and work out whatever the the obstacles and the conflicts are within their their, their stories, so I think it's a great genre i really i really really enjoy writing love love stories um I'm happy to be living my own love story um Aww. my own past. and it uh began almost thirty years ago. Um, it'll be 30 our 30th anniversary in June of 2019. Congratulations. So um, that's, you know, it's a part, it's an important part of life. Uh, It's not the only way to conduct your love life, but it's one way to, uh, it's one way to do it. And um, I remember your your one of your questions in the questionnaire you, you gave me was was you know how I identify and 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 I said yes I'm a monogamist and I always have been um but it's totally cool to as far as I'm concerned however anybody uh, wants to wants to have relationships because if nothing else in the queer community we need to be all about acceptance and uh flexibility and uh, that kind of stuff. We can't have rigid, uh, rigid expectations.
0: I like that. I like hearing that from. I mean, all sorts of people, but especially older people. Because I, I, I can't say this for everyone, but I've, I've seen some resistance out there, and a lot. You know what? I've seen a lot of resistance from people like in the heterosexual heterosexual community for change. Like I get it. Oh, no one, no one likes change. I get it. But it's just like. Yeah. It's a thing. It happens. You know, one day I might be that person that's just like, oh, I can't believe this is changing again. But I hope I mean, how, how do you go against that? How do you how do you open your mind to that? Like, give me your secrets.
1: Um, I think the main thing I always remember and whenever I I I, uh, I either hear it from somebody and in San Francisco, I honestly don't run into homophobia very often. Right. That's so nice. nice. It's, it's very nice. And it's, it's um, sometimes we say in San Francisco, um, we live in a blue bubble. We do not live the reality of other people at all. It's an entirely different, uh, entirely different sort of uh, reality. And uh i actually um slightly explored that in one of my um, books that was not set in san francisco most of them are but one was set in indianapolis indiana and that it's not i have to remember it's not the same and but what i um for everybody but when i read about it or when i hear uh hear about i guess i do a lot of still do a lot of reading uh of news. I don't know if that's good for me or not, but um, <laughs> I, I followed, you know, marriage equality stuff and then religious freedom act, act stuff. I I read about that kind of thing uh, constantly because that's one of my um, subjects I'm uh, fascinated by is, is, is queer history and culture. And that in, unfortunately in, includes a whole lot of struggle and a whole lot of progress that as they say it's you know two steps forward and one step back um you just never know but um people who are resistant to this are people who uh are us i would say let's let's make it an us people who are resistant to people different from them and it seems that you know, I can't make a huge generalization about it, but I would say, with a relative amount of confidence, that people who are resistant to uh, queer people are probably resistant to um, immigrants, people who are Muslims. You know, in other words, people who are different—they mm-hmm. find that very scary. They and and particularly with, um, um, you know, with queer with queer people. Because sexuality is such a fraught subject, right? It's it's an incredibly fraught subject for uh, a- almost everybody. And um, gender expectations, social roles of gender, those are the main people that are really resistant to the idea of queer people, including transgender uh, people that now have... The, the the resistance is now focusing a lot on on transgender uh, people r- rather than lesbians or gay men or uh, we're we're kind of an old subject uh, we're, we're 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 kind of been in the news so much and and I've um, uh, been doing our thing for a while so now they have a new target to to focus their fear and I, I assume this is all fear based. It's very scary for, for, for people, and I know this is really um, this is really hard. And a lot of people who uh, I think who people who are younger get really upset and really, really, really angry. And and I don't really don't mean to be um, to be hateful. And it's a big drag. But you know what? We're always going to have to be the people who take the high road. We're always have to be the ones who are compassionate and and patient most of all patient in the in the face of people's resistance it sucks but there isn't any way to reach people unless you kind of let them go through what they go through and look for a kind of an opening of um uh, let's see maybe i can reach this person this way maybe if i say something this way I might be able to get a different reaction when they were fighting for marriage equality in massachusetts the way they did that and i wasn't there i would have read about uh this the way they did that they literally had people go door to door and have conversations with
0: people. oh that sounds dangerous that's like it stranger danger that's stranger danger
1: <laughs> totally totally terrifying right but that's what they did they literally had people go and talk face-to-face. You know, it's really, it's, it's not easy to resist, you know, an actual living, breathing human being who's sitting in, in front of you. It actually, it was usually t- two of them, right? It's always easier for, for folks that, that have these prejudices to, you know, put us all off in a corner someplace. We're not even really real. We're more like a concepts than human beings. But once they're confronted with actual human beings in front of them, talking with them, they made a lot of progress that way. That's how they... I mean, those people are the bravest people I've
0: ever met, because, wow, (laughs) I can hardly, regardless of the fact that I interview a lot of people that I've never met before, I cannot stand in front of a crowd. I can hardly stand up in front of more than five people at a time and talk about something and I just wow to go into a complete stranger's like hopefully they didn't go into their house that sounds super dangerous
1: no but like it literally did wow that's how that's how as they say that's how minds and and hearts are changed of course some people didn't want to talk to them of course they'd get doors slammed in their faces or they didn't actually succeed in changing someone's um, mindset, but that's how people, um, go out and canvas to get people to vote. That's how people, uh, that, that's how people in Massachusetts, uh, worked on their, their marriage equality, uh, uh their marriage equality law by changing people's mind. And some people are going to be beyond, um, you know, beyond persuasion. That's, that's, the that's a fact, but, uh, they, um, they, they credit that. They also talk to, uh, um, members of their legislature they would go in and li- literally talk to, to to because that's you know yeah, that's, that's something we need to think we're not real if somebody who only sees uh, uh, something on tv you know sees um, the the footage of a um, of a, a pride rally or something like that they would have all kinds of 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 opinions uh, about it and if they live in a in places where they 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 think there are no gay people of course it's this evil vicious circle if nobody comes out everybody around thinks well there's no there's no queer people here we don't have to worry about that and they say stuff and they do stuff that make all the queer people that are there really scared and reluctant to come out so it's like a vicious circle and you have to break that one way or another so anyway that's my diatribe on 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 that part but um but wow
0: i i could not imagine the people who did that and it's you know, and you were saying something about they see something on tv and it's so easy for them to like make us not real people for us to be right. this this catalyst for a concept that they're going to twist however they want to feel right. comfortable with what's going on um so speaking of that a lot of people the first time they actually do see queer people is on TV. The first time I saw a queer person was on TV. The first time I grasped the concept of gay being anything other than an insult was on TV. So when was the first time that you grasped that concept because I know that well uh, LGBT people on TV has not been a very good story for a long time in fact. We've been a lot we've, we've been villains for more than we've been on TV as
1: good <laughs> yes. guys. Uh, yeah, in, I um in positive history, but I know I, I yeah, TV TV is definitely uh definitely a, a a mixed bag when it comes to being a source of of information for uh uh for for the pop let's say the population in 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 general. Um I you know, I was thinking about uh about this cuz I was a- answering another answering a question on something I'm doing on uh, Twitter right now. And the question was, when was the first time you ever read anything um, about um, a queer person? What was the first queer literature you ever read? And I had to think long and hard about that. And I have to think that the first time I ever got the concept that there were people, um, that were this way were um, was was through some kind of book, but it's that's a, so long ago uh, that I I couldn't even begin to tell you um, how old I was or what book it was. Uh, I was probably pretty young because I was uh, reading a lot of different things, and so I think that's where I got the first um, con- concept um, of it. Um, I think my mother said something. To, to me. And I don't know what context it was or why she would have even said it. And it was not a positive uh, thing. It was more like something you have to, to watch, watch out for. But I definitely started to become aware that I was probably different when I, I was in high school. And I definitely understood um, that I was different and that there were other people like me by the time I was in in college and i did probably meet my first lesbian when i was in when i was a college uh a college student so um yeah i don't i i i was reading that's what i was doing i was i was i was reading um well feminist literature certainly uh and and um that's about that's about as specific as i can i can i can get about it and um so those two things kind of came together when I was a when I was a college student. I thought, oh, okay, yeah, all right, I get it. Um, so I was in a sort of a weird in between f- f- phase, though, that happened to a lot of w- w- women. That I was still officially heterosexual. I still had boyfriends, um, but I knew that I knew that this wasn't quite the right thing uh, for for me. So. So, you know, I went to uh, a college in northern Ohio, it was very small. But then I went to graduate school in a place in Cleveland, Ohio, and in Cleveland was where I came out. 1976.
0: So how was that received? Do you do you remember? And I, I mean I'm fine if you don't cuz let's be real, I can't remember what I did last week, let alone <laughs> what happened X amount of years ago. Like, I had a person on here who was like, Yeah, that was why I had that crush on that girl in kindergarten. I'm like, I can't even remember that far back.
1: I, uh, um, it was great, actually. It was, it it, it was really fun. Um, it was, uh, it's kind of scary. It was kind of, uh, it's kind of, kind of, kind of crazy. But, um, one of my best friends in college, and then I also ended up going to graduate school um, with him was a gay guy. And, I found out or pretty early on that 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 he he was gay but because he was you know he was trying to come out himself and he was in a relationship when we were when we were just still in college and and so um that that kind of was part of my introduction to it so I um I also kind of had a crush on him too which most of the girls that I knew did <laughs> but which is kind of funny you know that's 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 kind of what happens uh to gay guys if they're um they're they're uh you know you know they're different they, they, you don't know why they're different but uh, at first but you know they you know they are and so uh uh we we started um going to gay bars in in Cleveland so they rent
0: gay bars in Cleveland I- Forgive me. I have very little knowledge of the LGBT scene like okay. back then. So, feel free to explain as much as possible cuz I'm just like paint me a pretty picture. Let's
1: go. <laughs> there were, um there there were uh a fair number of of uh bars and uh discos. I mean, this was the disco era anyway. So, um if there is a dance club in which there was a couple of them in Cleveland because it's a fairly large city. And so, uh, there were places, uh, where people could could go, but it was, um, there was a place I remember, and actually I was talking to somebody about this the other day who had been to it, which was, uh, kind of, kind of crazy. Uh, it was a, a, a gay bar, uh, that there was even no front entrance. There was literally nothing out front that that showed you um, or told you what sort of place it was, and the entrance was around uh, behind it because so they had to be discreet. Those places had to be discreet because didn't want <laughs> the entrance to... was in the back. Yeah, they didn't want it. It was in a you know perfectly ordinary suburb of of uh, of Cleveland called Shaker Heights. It's actually a very nice um, uh, n- neighborhood, and. Uh, that's where we where we used one of the places we we used to go. So it was um, it that was part of um, our, you know, his his coming out is like okay he had a he had a, a boyfriend he had a, a lover but he wasn't out at all um, for quite a while, um, and he was coming out at the same kind of the same way I was. Um, so that's a place we would go, and in in mid sized cities and smaller places. There weren't a separate gay bars or le- or lesbian bars, at least not at, at the time. It, it kind of all started out to uh, kind of smushed to get together, and it wasn't until I moved to San Francisco that I realized that I um, uh, that lesbians and gay men belong to pretty much two different species, the same way women and men do in in general. So that was um, that was kind of a uh, uh, a little bit difficult to to deal with but that 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 my friend frank um and um going to gay bars in cleveland and um i moved to san francisco because the girl i was in love with said we have to go to san francisco (laughs) because it's better (laughs) and i was pretty young and pretty um pretty dumb and i was actually done with graduate school i i stopped doing it I, i didn't want to do it anymore i was I was really uh, over it, and and so I went along with her, and um, I came to San Francisco in 1979, mm-hmm. and that was uh, back in that back then it wasn't terribly expensive to live here, so the economics of it weren't weren't quite as as daunting as they uh, as they are now, and uh uh. He, it wasn't really easy but eventually you know we found jobs we um we, we started developing a, a a life uh here but i'm um I, I probably wouldn't be uh honest or on honest enough if i didn't it didn't, and, and there's no reason not to, to talk about this. I'm an alcoholic and drug addict. I'm still clean and sober now, but I wasn't back in the, in the 70s. Uh,
0: Congratulations. In the- I know November that's
1: a really hard 80s. struggle. I'm glad for you. Yeah. It's really good, um, and I'm not at all sorry about the stuff that I went through um, either, um, but in any case, that was a big. it was a big party. I mean, San Francisco was the gay Mecca, and that's what we called it that's what the rest of the world called it either approvingly or disapprovingly and that's that's exactly um w- w- what it was like it was a lot of fun it was really uh it was really crazy um it was it was a big party and uh, um that's when when we arrived was you know 1979 pre pre-AIDS epidemic and uh, it was it was fun. that's all I can say about it. It was a lot of, it was a lot of fun and uh it was um it stopped being fun well, being an alcoholic and drug addict, it started to stop being being fun so i I got sober the first time in nineteen eighty five um I broke up with that girl, uh, although we had spent six and a half uh, years uh to, together we had to we definitely had to break up and um I got clean and sober, and uh, as they say, I got sort of woke uh, woke up uh, and noticed there 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 were other other things to to being a, a, a gay person uh, to do rather than go to bars and 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 drink and do drugs all, all the time. And so I started doing that in the early '80s. Um, I, I became a, a, a community volunteer. I actually worked uh, for many years on the parade. The San Francisco has been, had many, many different names. Now it's called the, you know, pride, parade, just like everywhere else, but it used to be called the San Francisco Lesbian and Gay Freedom Day Parade and Celebration. Oh,
0: that that's was, awesome.
1: look, it's, it's literally its entire, its entire name. <laughs> 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 I'm glad they shortened that one up, but um it it uh i started I, I actually started volunteering for it before i i got sober but i continued uh after after i got uh after i got sober and uh that was where i met my spouse in 1989 was at the parade she was another volunteer oh oh so we have our anniversary of our meeting every year on on the parade day in, in june so that's
0: beautiful that's beautiful, so, but can continue because it's it. I haven't spoken to somebody who coordinates the parades, and I imagine back then there was it was probably pretty difficult. Do you still coordinate today, or have you passed that? I, do,
1: I do not. Um, I did it for a good ten years. Um, I, I there are hundreds of volunteers that work uh, on the parade. I was one of many hundreds of 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 people that 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 uh, volunteered. At the parade, and it—it's, um, you know, it was. Uh, that's a whole. It's just a whole other major story within itself. But it—it uh, it was a really fun way to meet people, and that. Now I always tell um, people, you know, you can meet, uh, people, you know, meet romantic partners or or, or meet friends. Um, easily doing volunteer work at least I I, I did if you don't want to uh, be a person who goes to bars or or parties or whatever there aren't really any lesbian bars anymore and, and people do sometimes mourn the fact that there aren't those spaces and that is true those specific spaces and places were really really important to to people um, back in back in the day but I since i don't drink anymore i obviously don't have that much nostalgia um for bars themselves but it's um there are other ways to meet uh people lots better ways uh i think if uh, but that's my opinion um that's only my my opinion probably because that's how i met uh the, the love of my life was being a volunteer at the parade wow but um yeah, I don't do it any anymore. I think the last time I did it was sometime in the in the 90s. Um I think I just it was just one of those things you do for quite a while, but then, you know, you need to go on and do something else. Uh, it it was um it's a it's an experience. It's a great experience. It's just it's a long day. It's like a 12-hour day uh, if you do that from beginning to end. Um Now, these days, I go to Pride festivals and sell my books. So I'm kind of just stationary, standing there, talking to people. But I love talking to uh, people who come over um, to check us out. And um, so I I enjoy that. I I enjoy being there. I enjoy seeing all the people having fun and being gay. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty much the same. I mean, it's different than it used to be, but it's the same. You know what I mean? It's a bunch of... uh, it's fun. It's just everybody gets out and it, they're so joyful, you know? They're just they're having a good time. I
0: know that's, a, that's the things I like about the Pride Parade. I don't get to go very often because I don't live in Dallas. I live further outside of Dallas, but I, I went to a kickoff party actually last night. No, today is Sunday. I went to a kickoff party Friday since I knew I wasn't going to make the parade today. So, but it was. It was fun. It was so fun being around other gay people. Like on the yeah, the internet it's... the internet these days is kind of the only place where I'm able to be like openly talking about how my wife has a burning desire to buy a new horse. Like, geez, how how do I tell her no? Like it's hard to ask relationship advice from people at work when it's like, Oh, you have a husband. How do uh... I how do I tell you that I actually have a wife?
1: So can you actually say
0: that to people you work with? Um, at the current place I'm at, I'm actually still kind of new. I've only been there for about two months. So the person that's training me knows because I've, I dropped the W word because I didn't really. After a while, it, it's hard for me to stop because I love talking about my wife and she's nice. a wonderful human being. Um, but... Uh, Basically, everyone else in the building does not know because I'm trying to gauge how people are before I start dropping that information, you
1: know. Oh, I completely understand that. I, I, you know, the people's reactions will probably be all over the place.
0: I just, I mean, it's not something I want to push into people's face, but I also want to get it done all at once. So I can see what people are like. <laughs> they wow, should you send just- out a
1: group email. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like, hey, everybody, just letting you know
1: I'm gay. Yeah, and you know, they like, "Just get, get this, out of the way." Yeah, I'm. The I don't want wanna... to. Yeah, the constant um, issue of coming out over and over and over uh, again. It's a lifelong thing. It's like never going to go away, right? It's it's because you're always going to meet um, meet new people. Um, oh, it makes me tired thinking about it. <laughs> I I think you know just to put it in per, per perspective. Um, generally speaking, um, people at work, if you have any kind of, of normal workplace, people talk about their romantic lives to the extent they say I have a girlfriend, a boyfriend, a fiance.
0: All the time.
1: A husband and wife. All the time. You're no different than anybody else.
0: That's all I want to do. That's all I want to do. All I want to do is tell people. I got into a fight with my wife last night because she wants to bring the horses inside the house. And that's just not
1: feasible for us. Right. And it's just, no, it's, a, it's a funny story. It's, a it's, it's a funny story and it's a perfectly normal pe- uh, thing to, to, to mention to people, but I don't <laughs> understand why you have to be um, discreet and cautious um, ab- uh, uh, about that um, because you don't know what the reaction is going to be. I could be fairly confident about walking into any workplace in San Francisco and um, saying something like, like that, and nobody would blink.
0: Now, oh, that sounds so lovely, but I can't afford to live there.
1: <laughs> right. Not everybody can live in San Francisco and Los Angeles and Chicago and New York and Austin and Texas and, and all, that, all the big cities where, you know, that's kind of part of the just normal fabric of life. Ah. it's everybody's life. So um I wish you luck and
0: um oh, well, thank you. It's yeah, I think it's I think it will be okay so far. The people around me don't seem to be assholes. That's I that's, that's the, the weird part, thing. That's the I, weird thing I, about I think people think who are like that. Of,
1: and and if somebody um has different sort of feelings uh about it, I think now things have evolved to the extent that maybe they don't really have to um let everybody know about their backward feelings you know it's become I think less socially acceptable to be a homophobic bigot and that's so nice, isn't it? I think that's very true, but there still probably will be one or two people there who knows how many that that may not react but if they have any sense, they'll keep their feelings to themselves, and you don't have to be friends with them they don't have to talk to you or uh, you know, be buddies with you if they don't want to, uh, vice versa. Nobody has to, you know, feel like you're having things uh, shoved in their face. It's like I hate that phrase shoved in our faces all the time, 24 7, all the, you know, our whole entire lives. Um, but, you know, if somebody comes out of work and mentions uh, a wife or a, a, a husband, um, people look at that as, oh, you're shoving it in my face. Uh, uh, no. No, 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 no.
0: (laughs) I am letting you know. So when I tell you this story, you don't be like, wait a minute. Didn't you mean him? No. I'll be like, no, no, I do not.
1: (laughs) I don't mean him. No, And everybody is straight. Period. Yep. No. If you didn't realize this before now, now you do. Congratulations. Yeah, congratulations. You're evolving. (laughs) Yay. Uh, So. Go ahead. So part of my. A uh, sort of uh, waking up and and uh, uh, coming to and uh, as opposed to um, coming out was um, um realizing you know it was it was hard to not realize it uh, in in San francisco in, in the early eighties because the people literally started dying very quickly suddenly and um or after a, a short a, a short illness and so um it, there was no there was no es, it, it escaping it really it was uh something san francisco it, most people don't realize is not a it, it's a big city but it's a big city that it's a small city it's the second densest most densely populated city in the country um after new york city itself and so we're on a peninsula and the population well, back in the '80s, it was about 600,000. It's more than that now. It's like 800,000 people. Uh, but we're 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 kind of all smashed into this little peninsula uh, that sticks out into the ocean, and on one side's the ocean, one side's the bay, and it, also because the politics of queerness started to to come into people's consciousness because Harvey Milk became a a San Francisco supervisor. And then he was, he was assassinated in the late, um, in the late seventies. Whoa. Sorry. 1978. Um, So this. uh, Assassinated? Like did someone shoot him? Yeah. You've never heard this story. I'm Uh, sorry. I'm expressing a little bit of astonishment because most queer people are at least aware of who Harvey Milk was. Sorry, it's uh, it's a sad story of this generation. We don't we don't look up in history very history, much, right? That's why I write historical novels. So anyway, he was a he was a city supervisor. He was elected as a city supervisor as an openly gay man in nineteen uh nineteen seventy seven, wow. and he um. Had done a lot of political work before then, and he he did a whole lot more um, as he as he was a city supervisor. And he and actually the mayor, who was not gay, who was a heterosexual, liberal heterosexual um, guy, were, were shot by another city supervisor.
0: Whoa. Was it because he was gay? Like, did they pinpoint it as that was a homophobic attack or um, did they like they, glaze over it? Like they didn't even mention that part of it.
1: He, it par, uh, partially, I, I think, um, it was, um, he was very, from a very conservative part of uh, uh, of the city. He was very, uh, a very con, uh, conservative and kind of uptight um, young, young guy. And uh, he um, wasn't that good at politics, even though he'd been elected as a, a city supervisor. That's what I hate about so. the freaking politic game. It's like, you're not. Ugh, he um, Go ahead. resented. He resented Harvey Milk, and he resented the mayor um, because um, uh, this guy's name was Dan White. He he decided to resign because he didn't want to be a city supervisor anymore. He decided to resign, and then he changed his mind, and he went to ask for his job back. But the mayor said, "No, nah, I'm sorry. I, you know, it's too late. I'm I'm not going to um, rescind your resignation or reappoint you as a." as a supervisor so he he was really um he was really angry uh about about that so he um he literally stuck into city hall through the basement Um, he was a cop i had been a cop and he Mm. and uh he he, uh, he shot them both literally in city hall on like a monday morning um in their office in their offices so uh if you look up online you can um you can get some really her, not her footage of the shooting, but um, Diane Feinstein, who's now a California senator, back then she was the mayor of, uh, well, she was on the board of supervisors and she became the um, uh, acting mayor. And they have a, a really incredible uh, uh, news clip of her making the announcement that this had happened to all of the news people um, in, in, San Francisco. Um, so I recommend you look some of this up online if you want to know more of the, the, the details of it, because it goes on from, from there. And this was, um, this was 1978 and, um, within, uh, so that was a huge deal. And uh, within, um, three years after that, uh, was when, uh, the AIDS epidemic started. Okay, so my question is, did he get arrested? He, he did get, arre- get arrested. Now he got arrested. Um, he got charged with murder. He was tried for a double murder, but he was only convicted of manslaughter. What the? Mm. I know. That was basically everyone's response to that. And there was a riot after that, and there was all kinds of other stuff. But um, he... Um, did he ever he, get punished? He did spend about five years in jail. Five and, years? Sorry. He was paroled, but he committed suicide. I think his, um, uh, I I think in, in, in in the end, he, he, uh, he paid for, uh, doing, doing what he did because I don't think he ever had a moment's peace, um, after, after that, but yeah, he, he committed suicide in 1985, not long after he was paroled. Oh. So, um, so that, um, and there was other things going on in San Francisco at, at the time that made everyone feel like it was the um, apocalypse. Uh, the, but uh, getting over that, um, I guess that that's one of the things that really contributes to our feeling in general, the we, I mean, queer people, our, our feeling of being under siege, you know, when literally someone can be murdered in the daylight, in their offices <laughs> their public official They're a public official, um, is, is kind of an insane so- sort of thing. And that, you know, that's just one small example. I mean, people are still getting murdered all, uh, for being queer all the time, uh, everywhere all the time. And it is, uh, yeah, that's what I have to say about that. But, um, I think, uh, just so mad <laughs> i i know it's yes you this, happen,
0: happens, I, this happened a long time before not a long time but years before i was born and i'm i'm still
1: mad about it wow I, I, um uh, you and a lot of um a, a, a lot of other uh, a lot of other people here and in, in good company but the thing about it aids it was a it was like it was i guess i, I imagine it like what people felt like being uh in a uh, in, in a war, like in the Vietnam War, when uh, young men would get drafted. And I'm definitely old enough to remember all that, to get drafted and sent off to a place that they may very well not come back uh, from. and Many, many thousands d- did not. So you have this threat of death hanging over everybody. And of course, I wasn't worried about catching it. I wasn't going to. Um, there was uh, very little li- likelihood of that, but a um, a common practice for everybody in San Francisco in the in the 1980s was to open up the local game newspaper. It was published every week. It was called the Bay Area Reporter. I think it's still being published. And every it came out every every week on Thursday, and um, we would get that newspaper and open it up to the back. Sometime in the Early '80s, they started publishing obituaries. We'd literally look in the paper to see who had died oh. that week, and uh, you knew people. I, mean, it, I was in the parade um, volunteers, and I knew a lot of a lot of different people. Um, I knew a lot of people who died. Sometimes um, we would walk through the Castro district uh, down the street, and you could tell of people who were walking around on the street you could tell who was sick they looked like people who had either been in a concentration camp for years and years um, or for some reason they were undergoing uh, some kind of crazy starvation Um, men who were 35 years old walking with canes and oxygen and um, yeah it was it was a it, it, it it was a weird feeling because just a few years before there, you would never see anybody like that on the street. Um, I took care of um, of several guys as a, as a volunteer. Um, I went to their houses and did laundry, clean their houses, um, or just talked, you know, just sit and talk. And the other part of it does, um, You know, we still had a parade to put on. um, And also there were tons of fundraisers all the time. Everybody was focused on almost exclusively on what we can do to help help people. Um, Some of that was political. Some of it was uh, cultural. Some of it was social work. Uh, I think um, we had the feeling that, you know, the show must go on. We still have to have a parade. We still have to keep doing the things that we normally are doing along with everything else. And people tell me a lot that, you know, that was the thing that made us grow up. Because when you're gay, you're kind of like in a perpetual adolescence. I'm sorry to say that's, you know, you weren't expected to get married. No one ever expected to get married and have kids. That wasn't really something that was uh, part of the fabric of the culture like, like, like it is now. So you couldn't get married, um, you couldn't, you didn't want to get married. Um, sexual freedom was the, the objective. Um, you know, you might want to end up as a, um, in, a, a, in a relationship. Um, that was the goal. And certainly a lot of people um, ended up um, that way. But um, one of the real um, origins of marriage equality was the fact that that um, guys who were dying of AIDS, they had a lover. Their families would often come in, and they would completely either ignore their lover, um, take everything that the because they're the family, right? They're the next of kin. They could make all the decisions. They could basically do whatever uh, they wanted to. Um, their lovers had no rights at all. None. Zero. You're a stranger. You know? eyes of uh, of the law so they were some very cruel very 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 cruel uh, things that happened to to um, both the men who were dying and their lovers was part of the reason why we have marriage marriage equality and the other big thing that happened with with aids was gay men and lesbians stopped fighting so much well then there's a silver lining somewhere <laughs> yeah there's a silver lining because, oh, my God, the, f- the arguments, I mean, they were misogyni- misogynistic and, and arrogant. And and uh, lesbians were just furious all the time. And they said, you know, you need to recognize the fact that there are, you know, women here. Um, don't say stupid stuff. Don't use bad words uh, uh, about us. You have to listen. And they didn't, you know, they really weren't really interested in that because they wanted to live lives and they did live lives that were totally revolved around other men and having sex and lesbians were very judgmental about that mm. judgmental about it um but you know what at some point you just have to say okay um this is what's happening now and what do i need to do to help and so then we um started getting along better <laughs> I used to go to blood drives and lay on all these. Everybody would lay down on all these cots and just, you know, unmasked, they would say, it's time, you know, for another blood drive. Okay, so we got to go give blood.
0: What wasn't
1: a big thing that spread at AIDS was um, needles? Uh, yes, yeah. You could be a drug addict and get uh, get it from needles. Um, yeah, you get it from needles, you get it from, from sex. Those are the two primary ways uh, to to get get aids and um yeah so a lot of people started getting clean and sober in the 80s too that was the other thing i <laughs> realized maybe drugs and alcohol aren't the answer to everything all the time so yeah i met a lot of guys in the um in, in a who uh, decided that they well, if they were going to die they weren't going to um die from drug drug addiction or or, or alcohol
0: that's good i I know that from what I've heard from other people, there was a lot of really bad um propaganda going around at that time like there was like they teach it in school that AIDS was like this outbreak of people using dirty needles and having unprotected sex. but back in the eighties it was it was commonly just referred to as like the gay man disease,
1: yeah yeah it was first I, I identified in 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 gay men and it wasn't as though they uh, re, the the research people actually didn't were making judgments about that but they the doctors were be were were just having people who guys who were sick did that came in to to see them and they couldn't figure out what was wrong with them and why why a, a young um healthy a uh, 30-something-year-old man was, was getting an effect, a, a, a rare infection, uh, capital C sarcoma, um, that wasn't known out, outside of, you know, this weather, tiny population of, like, um, Mediterranean or Jewish men. Uh, it, it was just the weirdest thing. And so it first started showing up um, in Los Angeles, in New York, um, and then San Francisco, I think, um, was, was the third, you know, in terms of the waves of the infections. It was New York and Los Angeles and then uh, uh, San Francisco. And, and it, yeah, it was totally identified with gay men from, from from the beginning. So it was talk about a recipe for, you know, exponentially increasing homophobia. Uh, well, there it was, you know. And, infectious uh an infectious disease uh, what more reason do you need your extra reason you need to to um hate a group of people than than uh for for something like that not only infectious but fatal it was uh there was no cure for it they didn't know how it was how it was spread for quite a long uh time quite a few few years before they finally figured it out but uh yeah the news reports back then and uh, um, the way people the way people talked about it it was really really hard it's like as uh you know as as a, le- a lesbian we sort of just got the overflow i mean nobody ever cared about lesbians anyway because after all we're we're women so we're oh that hurt <laughs> uh you know not nearly as uh, uh not nearly as important but um you know it was really it was a dark thing to live through but at the same time you know when you're in the middle of it it just becomes your normal life this is just what you did you know i didn't think it was um strange strange at all that i spent several hours a week with this guy who lived down the the street from from me um you know just cleaning his kitchen or hanging out uh hanging out with him and uh, he he was the first this one guy I spent the most time with. He was the first person I ever heard of or it, we didn't use the term, but he he um, smoked marijuana. He he um, he never drank or, or, or did drugs or anything like that, at least not at that point. But he smoked marijuana because it was the only thing that could make it possible for him to eat. He could um, quell his nausea enough to be able to eat something if he smoked a little dope. But he didn't call it medical marijuana back then. But that's huh. what it was. That's what it was to him. Huh. So um, I spent time in hospital rooms. I spent time in memorial services. It's a weird thing to to live like that when you're in your early thirties. You know that's not really not supposed to happen to to people that are that that, that young. So just made us grow
0: up. So do you? Did you notice? Well, there has to be a very specific difference between how the pretty much the gay culture was before and after, because I hear a lot of stories of how it was after, but not a lot of
1: people can tell me how it was before. Um, well, I can tell you that that before um, in San Francisco for for gay men it was just what they call it, one big candy store, one <laughs> huge orgy. It was uh it was like you know sexual freedom on stare uh, on, on steroids it was amazing um and it, it, both i was both a little envious of it and horrified by it at the at the same time i mean i really tried not to be uh, judgmental i mean who, who am i to be judgmental about how, how people have have sex i mean that's a that's a pointless kind of a- attitude uh to have but but after uh, once AIDS started and once they figured out that it was sexually transmitted and it took a long time for everybody to really internalize that and really accept that that was a fact of life uh, and start practicing uh, or they started doing uh, sex differently that's for sure that's for sure there was safe sex which is a whole other subject within itself but uh, you know you actually needed to have relationships with people and either have uh it, because the only people that were going to take care of you most people were alienated from their families so the only people that are going to take care of them are their friends and and uh, and uh and or their uh their their lovers and so i think everybody became a lot more compassionate after um after that because you know you have to stop being so callous about everything. And as a lesbian, I couldn't be judgmental about how some guy got AIDS. I mean, I pretty much knew how it was done anyway. And it probably had happened years before. I mean, there was, people were sick long before they were sick. It was a couple of years before uh, it would show up. You get infected and then it, it, the, the symptoms are the opportunistic infections wouldn't show up until a couple uh, years later. And so it's it's useless to blame people for, uh, for, for for their behavior. They had no idea. Nobody knew. Nobody knew at the time when it was happening. It was unknown. So there's no point in blaming the victim for, for oh, well, you slept with too many guys. It, it, it's pointless. It only took one. It only took one. And uh that was actually true of some somebody I knew um uh, back then one of my uh in the apartment building that I that I that I lived and he was not promiscuous at all. Not in the least. But it didn't matter, you know, he still got it anyway. So um stop being we had to stop being judgmental about it, stop uh, I guess yeah, just forget about the the judgments and the and and uh, the the whys and the wherefores and, and what is actually true right at the moment is that everybody needed to help in whatever way they they were uh, able to uh, to to do that and um, so we did and afterwards yeah it's like okay. Now it's time to realize that maybe you need to exercise a little more judgment about, uh, uh about sex and that as argument we've been making for, uh, for a little while is this is that, um, LGBT, uh, liberation doesn't really actually equate with, with sex. It's really a little bit something, a little bit more than that. Uh, so maybe it's time to grow up. So we did.
0: It's it's hard to hear these stories, but at the same time, I feel like it's very necessary that we do hear these stories. Um, I've during the whole duration of me doing this podcast, I've had heard these stories from several different points of views. I a lot of times these people were, the people I interviewed were children, like they don't, they don't, they weren't a part of the culture. They don't remember a lot of it, but they do remember what people showed them. They, they do remember, you know, the raging homophobia that just became present in the room that hadn't been before they, they became aware of how people were talking about it. And that's a lot of people a lot of some of the people I've talked to that's how they became aware of gay as a thing is during the AIDS crisis because it became it wasn't that elephant in the room anymore it was it was a serious yeah. thing
1: okay. um, yeah it was, it was something everybody was talking about it and maybe they weren't talking about it in the greatest way but at least they were talking about it
0: i've heard I, I had an interview with this woman from england that she was a child when it happened and she remembers people handing out pamphlets that were Pretty much stating that it was a gay disease. And it was, and you know, the news people would chuckle under their breaths while they were talking about it. And it surprised me that it had such a huge reach that that kind of hatred became such a spark that it just, it literally went almost all over the world of people just saying, this is what this thing was, even though it wasn't affecting them directly or or unfortunately that it caused that that it caused that disease to move even further because people who weren't gay thought they were safe from it
1: yeah right um and, and i
0: uh, i've heard stories that the politicians did nothing that they that uh, it took a long time before they even started doing anything about it uh
1: that is very that is very true uh, the federal government's response to it was um it was non-existent it was non-existent the usual analogy that's made with this erica is that in 1982 um there was a scare because people were getting poisoned by uh, uh seemingly by by tylenol there was they, literally there was some guy and that's why we have all those extra packaging and pills now because some dude was was uh literally putting poison into Tylenol in the drugstore, so people were getting poison. And in the late 70s, a bunch of um, Legionnaires, uh, American Legion, this is like some kind of service organization, were in a a convention in Philadelphia, and they got sick um, from, I think it was contaminated water. And in both of those instances, I think Tylenol was like 22 people or something like that, and the Legionnaire's disease was like... um, some some number i don't know 30 20 30 people uh guys at these conventions and in both cases um the full force and reach of um the center for centers for disease control those are the people that are um, charged with finding out why people are getting sick there's the people that study academic they spent millions of dollars in in 70s and and uh early 80s dollars i can remind you on finding the answer to the questions of why people were getting sick in those two instances. And thousands and thousands and thousands of people, first hundreds and then pretty quickly thousands, and they did nothing. So that's the comparison. You know, the full force and attention of the federal government could be brought to something like a disease that killed 23 legionnaires in philadelphia but major cities were having an epidemic and they paid no attention to it whatsoever none zero i don't think there was federal money for aids and uh until the mid 80s so that's why um that's why we get mad i mean that's why that's why we still have to fight that's that The cities themselves, the city of New York did nothing for the people that were dying in New York. Nothing. They literally refused to put a, a penny of money towards that. San Francisco um, and Los Angeles to a lesser extent, our cities did. They they stepped up. They They immediately saw that it was a problem that couldn't be ignored. And so San Francisco um, did a great job uh, with that and and started right away because gay people have political power in San Francisco thanks to the work of somebody like Harvey Milk. We had, it couldn't be ignored, so um, the communities themselves. that's why another thing I recommend for you to watch is How to Survive a Plague. That's a documentary that was made about um, the ACT UP people in New York. Um, it's, it, it's unbelievable, but before um, there was ACT UP, um, the way clinical trials were conducted on drugs was a certain way. Um, they're not that way anymore. I mean, it literally changed how healthcare is done. Because of the AIDS uh, epidemic, it's 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 still something that people um, need to know about. So um, yeah, the publicity around it in national news media it was pretty foul most of the time. Uh, it, it was pretty condescending and definitely lacking in in compassion. And yeah, it, it was hard. It was very very harsh it's uh yeah it's worth knowing about it it, you know there's plenty of information uh around that i'm i'm actually reading uh because of the book i'm writing right now i had to reread a book i haven't um hadn't read in many years but um a newspaper guy here in san francisco was also gay wrote a, a huge book um about the first five years of the aids epidemic um, his name is Randy Schultz, S. H. I. L. T. S. Of course, he's dead now. He died in '93 from AIDS. And the name of the book is "The Band Played On." And, I
0: um, need to put a link of that somewhere. You said that lesbians and gay people fought a lot before this, and yeah, let's be yeah. real—they we still fight today, but still, so, yeah, we fought a lot, and that we came together and. Um, would you say uh, I don't know how to phrase this question I don't want to say whether the unanimous decision because I'm pretty sure there were probably some pretty women who did pretty nasty women who didn't want to help Um, yes but was there were you there when they started to organize around that to help each other today as you can probably tell we're we are still pretty divided we're divided into these tiny sections even though we shouldn't be because now, even more than ever, it's extremely important that we band together to show our numbers. Because that's how we're going to make a difference. It's how we're going to make people notice us as people. Is showing our numbers. Um. But where we, what would you say? Well, I guess what you could you tell me about the women who band together to help them?
1: Um. Well, I think I I would I would put it this way. Um. Lesbians don't get along that well either. Which aware. <laughs> and there, there were for a, a lot, a lot of lesbians for whatever um, reasons they they had. Uh, and I'm not go- going to make any judgments about those reasons. Um, there were lesbian separatists. Uh, uh, I, I don't hear the term much anymore, um, but. Back in the seventies and and eighties, there were a lot of lesbians who just didn't even want to be around men. I mean, they didn't even want to have them as friends. They didn't want to have them. They didn't even did most extreme uh, cases. They didn't even want to. It, it is separate. Separate. The Lord says it all. Have you ever heard the term lesbian separatist? I,
0: you know, I have had heard that word I've seen that word passed around and that's mainly with people they're mainly with the women who don't uh like transgender people
1: oh yeah they're that's that that yeah that they, would feel, be, they
0: feel like they're from the same branch
1: yeah it, it probably uh something something very very uh very very similar but um and so um I think there were um, women. I, I know I must have talked to them. There weren't many, fortunately. But I I, I heard it. And I, I I heard people say things like, basically on the order of, well, they brought it on themselves. Uh. Uh, so, um, therefore, the, the reasoning would follow that there isn't anything I need to do or anything I need to say. You know, it's obvious that that was going to happen anyway. and. You know, basically, their attitudes were the, be exactly the same as uh, some right wing religious homophobic bigot, basically, as far, as far as I can say. Few and far between. I, I think, uh, for the most part, I, I was never a lesbian separatist. I just never was. Um, I spent four, 40 years being friends with gay men of all kinds. And maybe I'm not crazy about sometimes their attitudes, but for the most part, um, I I've never regretted that for the moment. And the people that I knew in San Francisco, and obviously in the organizations I was part of, and um, uh, the uh, the circles I I, I, w- I was in would not have that at- attitude because you know you were just you lived with these people um, all the time you know, with these guys all the time and, and worked on parade or worked on some, something else or uh, whatever uh, we, we were just we were we were there we were all in, in it uh, to, together there just is how could anybody with human emotion you know just dismiss people's suffering I mean, there's just, I couldn't do that. And um, all the people that I knew didn't feel, uh, didn't feel that way. And so um, I think I probably just wouldn't want to talk to or be around anybody who had an attitude of they brought it on themselves. So I know it was there, but fortunately not many. I'm so glad to hear that. I
0: am so glad to hear that. Um, Maybe we should lighten the mood a little bit and I I do like I do like a little ups and downs in the conversation but I also really appreciate to hear good things about people as long as as well as those things because that's that's the fun part of life is that there's ups and downs in life but there's usually always a bright side and there's usually always you know the conquering note to every story so um so that that's cool, yeah. <laughs> um how about something, something interesting. I do want to talk about you and your wife. Cause I love here. You, are you are married or are you just partners?
1: We are married. Um, we, um, let's see. We got domestic partners in the city and County of San Francisco in 1996 when uh, they passed a law uh, for, for that. And in 2000 um, I was working for the um, university of California, uh, San, San Francisco and uh, they um, uh, and, and I think they actually passed the law for the state and, and the UCSF is a state institution and they uh, upgraded um, the domestic partners uh, legislation so that it was identical to marriage um, except for the uh, except for the name and the fact that we um, <laughs> This still blows my mind, but I don't ever really want to forget it. Like I don't want to ever forget about um, the AIDS epidemic. The University of California and other institutions like it could uh, put all all of our our partners on our domestic partners on our health insurance. And they made sure that was all they they did that for for everybody. There was no discrimination by my employer on that. However, at that time, since it wasn't legal under federal law, we literally paid taxes for the privilege of um, having um, insurance that covered uh, both of us. Thousands of dollars of taxes. That still blows my mind. And um, so we had upgraded domestic partners in 2000. And in 2004, the mayor of San Francisco saw that Massachusetts had... um, Uh, passed marriage equality uh, for the state of Massachusetts. Uh, Gavin Newsom, he's the lieutenant governor of California right now, but he was the mayor of San Francisco at that time. And he said, well, why can't we do that? And in retrospect, it was really kind of crazy. But he said, you know what, we're going to let people get married. So in 2004, we went to city hall and got married by a clerk um, or by a a city, uh, a city employee. So it wasn't, it was later declared illegal. But we did get married in 2004. And then in 2008, the state of, of California um, uh, decided that the California Constitution said we could get married. I don't know if you knew this, but marriage is the province of the state, not the federal government. Um, but uh, by the uh, uh, the early 90s i feel like i'm reciting gay history to you but i'm sorry i'm like i feel like i'm intimately uh but i love it don't don't apologize i love it and so 2008 we had a a state court case and we won the uh we won the court case um and it made marriage legal in california just like marriage equality was legal in massachusetts civil marriage uh that's the that's a whole thing about it that's that's still kind of maddening about the pushback against marriage equality which is based in religion but that's a whole again is a whole other conversation so Jeanette and I um, uh, and a lot of people that we knew um, got married um, we got married in July of, of 2008 so there was a window of opportunity the court case was passed in uh, May of 2008 and um, We got married in July and people got a lot of people got married. Actually, 18,000 couples in California got married uh, between July and November uh, of 2008. And um, the evil people had put uh, California has initiatives. California. As a democracy that where, where we vote on subjects that I believe are really best left to, you know, our state representatives. But nonetheless, we have initiatives and that's what Proposition 8 was. It was initiative that uh, negated the, um, uh, the, the court case and uh, said that no marriage equality is not legal in California and you have to stop doing it. So literally we got married in between the time in a few months between, uh, in that interval where it was legal. And so that's how, how we uh, ended up being married. And, um, it was, uh, it was a really wonderful, um, experience. And we had, um, relatives that flew out from a lot of different places around the country to come to the wedding. And it was in place up north in sonoma uh county on the pacific ocean so we got married on a cliff over the pacific ocean oh that's cute (laughs) yeah it was great so anyway that's it it was like uh domestic partners twice one marriage that was annulled in 2004 and then the actual thing in marriage a marriage in 2008 so we just kept doing it until it worked
0: you know this might sound strange, but, you know, I, w- I would love the idea of getting married to my wife over and over again. So you could see it that it was almost
1: a privilege.
0: I don't know. How was so, that is that going
1: too far? Was... No, I think that, no, I, I understand that viewpoint. It, it was, it was, it um, I mean, was great. I mean, I mean yes, at, at the point, time, it, I'm sure it was frightening and
0: very frustrating. But, I mean, I would love to be able to say I married my wife several times.
1: I know it's I, it's it's fine. I like I I uh uh. uh <sighs> I was really glad that we did it in 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 two thousand and eight. Otherwise, we would have had to wait. on seven six. No, don't, uh, yeah, we would have had to wait a while before we could actually i uh, done it again. Um, oh, let me tell you something funny about the um, 1004 wedding. Um, mm-hmm. That uh, He decided to, um, the mayor decided to start this on a Thursday. And he, he started um, by having um, two um, iconic uh, figures in LGBT history, uh, Del Martin and Phyllis Lyon, who are residents of San Francisco. He started by marrying them himself and um down in, in in city hall and so it hit the news pretty 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 quickly and Jeanette called me on the phone I was at work and uh she said hey we can get married you want to get married like mm-hmm. on Saturday and I was like uh well I I, I don't know I was kind of like wishy-washy <laughs> I was like not feeling that great for some reason that day, but I knew better than to say no. So I said, "Oh yeah, 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 we could get 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 married uh, on on Saturday." So we we um, we went and stood in line on on, on Saturday afternoon, and we took um, her best friend Michael and my sister with us as our witnesses, and um, yeah, we we ended up getting married. And it was really, it was quite a weekend, actually. I went back to to, um, witness someone else's um, marriage on, it was um, President's Day weekend, so it was on Monday. And by then, it was like a zoo. There was like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people lining up to get married. And uh, somebody remarked to me at the time, well, there's definitely a demand for it. (laughs) (laughs) No shit.
0: That's so crazy. Uh, but,
1: yeah, she didn't care for my first reaction to when she said, you want to get married on Saturday? Like, how I, long have you been together? At that by point. that, we'd been together 15 years. Um, <laughs> well, you can so, always
0: tell her, you know, you loved her enough that you married her several times. Wow. Several
1: times. Yeah. Uh, I always said, so we're just going to keep on doing it until it fucking sticks, you know. <laughs> and um, so never... Uh, I never had any doubts about it anyway I always wanted to to do it but um actually, I asked her to marry me in nineteen ninety five when Hawaii was uh very close. Hawaii was the first state that really got close to marriage uh, equality, and again it was their courts that said, no, the Hawaiian Constitution definitely doesn't for forbid this you know it should be legal, but there was tremendous pushback um from religious Nuts and they never did get it together in Hawaii. Leave oh, happened-
0: Hawaii alone. You didn't care about it until they put resorts on it.
1: I know oh. they did. It's just some weird uh, rock in the middle of the Pacific Ocean in the middle of nowhere. But uh, I mean, now they have more I didn't ask her. She said, uh, I asked her on vacation when we were in Hawaii in 1995 and she said, yes. I said, mm-hmm. when it's legal. Cause that's where my mind kind of goes to the, to the, um, you know the legal parts of it. If it was going to be marriage. I didn't want a commitment ceremony. I wanted marriage, period. Um, and and so, finally, uh, <laughs> and as she likes to say, I said yes. And I thought, oh, there's never going to be a chance of that. Who knew? <laughs> <laughs> she likes to say that. Oh, you know, I said yes. What could what could possibilities of it
0: really happening? <laughs> I mean, you guys have been together for like. Like ten years at that point, so I mean it, there shouldn't have been like a question of commitment, surely
1: no there was no question of of commitment there really was not, and that was true of a lot of people who got uh m- married er, er, early on. It was like, yeah, well, we're already, yeah, there's no difference between um but it is different, it really does feel different to get married. And I really understood that on on the, the day that we actually had um, I thought I had never heard more meaningful words than in by the power vested in me by the state of California I pronounce you married so, oh you're going to make me cry over here <laughs> yeah so anyway I um, I've gone on I think a little too long right right now um, but um, I hope that I've uh, given you some
0: Oh, you you, know, you have given me plenty, but I would like to be able to give you something back. So if you could talk about your projects and where people can find you, that way we can put put that out there for them. I mean, I'd like to think I was giving back to people who were willing to share their stories with oh, me. Well,
1: of course, um, I can easily be found uh, on the website of Bold Strokes Books. Um, I'm also on Facebook um, and my email. Um, uh, my emails in the uh, bold strokes books uh, uh, w- website um, if people want to get books uh, w- we like people to buy for the publisher because that's a better better deal for us but you know i can also be found on a- amazon um, and uh, um, i love getting an email from people or um, if they want to read a book and and want to talk to me about it. Uh, I love that. Uh, you know, I'm actually writing a book right now. This is a uh it's quite a quite an experience because it's not a romance novel. Um, it is uh, it's the opposite of a romance novel. Um
0: it, the opposite
1: it's actually, of a romance novel. Yeah, it's the opposite of a romance novel. Uh um it it's a about someone who might bear a resemblance uh, to me and exactly the stuff I've been talking to you um, about uh, alcohol, drugs, and AIDS. Um, uh-huh. it's, it's a period piece. I guess you could call it a period piece. It's not historical fiction because i lived through it, so it doesn't count as historical. I'm told by strict definition, historical fiction means you didn't live through the period that you're writing about. Ah. Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, it's kind of timely for me to talk more about um the eighties and and uh AIDS because that's the novel I'm writing right now. Oh, so it, I that definitely comes, helped you out there. It's a s it's a recovery novel. So it may be um pretty dark um in a lot of places, but at the end he, the person still gets gets recovery and gets gets clean and, and sober. So uh I'm Finding it a bit difficult, um, mostly because, um, you know, people who abuse drugs and alcohol, it gets kind of repetitive. <laughs> it's actually a pretty dull life when you come right down to it. Um, it's It has moments of, of fun. It's kind of fun early on, and then it becomes not fun. And uh, it, it it has to do with the painful death, of course, of um, my character's basically best friend first uh for some difficulties and alienation um due to the fact that he's a gay man and she's a lesbian and when they moved to san francisco things become completely different um than the uh uh than the their lives had been previously and different it seems in a good way um at least it seems to be um fun i'm i'm happy to say that the part uh, the fellow I partially based this character on as I said the guy that I went to college with in grad- graduate school um, that guy never got um, HIV he actually was really smart he realized early on it had to have been a, uh, a sexually transmitted disease and he changed um, what he was doing um, immediately and He's fine. He's alive and well, lives with his husband and two kids in the suburbs of San Francisco. Oh, um, that's so nice to hear. So he, um, he never got sick. Um, however, um, I actually do have a number of friends who survived and, um, which is great. I mean, I'm really glad that they, um, they, they, they made it, they made it through, um, but it's like in it, you know. It's it's like being an alcoholic or drug addict. You never really truly stop doing that, you know. They're HIV positive, so um, there's health issues to deal with. But um, yeah, they're okay. Um, but that's anyway. that's good to hear, because
0: for some yeah. reason, for a lot of people, they hear, oh, you have AIDS, you're going to die. Like so I it's a revelation to some people that you can actually live you, with you, this. Uh,
1: now people do 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 live because there's good drugs uh for it and um uh, there even and even before that by who who knows why but for some for for some reason um some people who were 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 sick actually did sur survive it and it's pretty amazing um, that they did um and uh Anyway, so um, that this the, the book I'm writing right now is definitely um, there's uh, somebody asked me if uh, uh, if there was romance in it. And I said, um, possibly suggestion at, at the very um, at, at the very end of uh, that could be a feature of. Um, this young woman's life. But before then, really, it's bad sex, bad drunken sex, Um, (laughs) you know?
0: I mean, that is the way of life, as I said. You know, like, romance is fantastic, but every story has, like, a tiny element of it, even if it's not what the story is about. And sometimes life, surprisingly, is not about sex. Mm. No, it's
1: not always. It's certainly... Um, comes in um, a lot of, of, of varieties, and 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 um, you know, for uh, uh, someone whose life um, ends up revolving around getting hired or getting drunk, sex com- pretty much completely becomes beside the point. Hmm.
0: That's an interesting perspective.
1: Yeah, because. Yeah, your human relationships in in general are not going to work really well if you if, if your um, you know if your consciousness is altered all the time. So things are not going to work out really well. But uh, in any case, because it's a uh, a so-called recovery story, that that it's possible to improve that, um, but not till not till much later. So that's why I say it's an anti-romance. There's no falling in love here. Um, there is uh, no happily ever after um, there's a lot of angst
0: I would imagine it to be but I also think that there's a place for those stories in this world because there are going to be a lot of people going through hard times that will pick it up and realize that there is you know
1: life goes on yeah and and it and it, it it's possible yeah, it's, po- it's possible to re- recover. It's possible to have a really good life. Uh, it's, um, I, I hope if, if, um, someone who picks it up and reads it, who might be thinking, well, maybe I have a problem with this too, and I'm might want to go talk to somebody about it, or I might want to get some help. That would be great. If that would, would happen. Um,
0: It surprises me that someone who wrote fan fiction would get instant gratification, almost instant gratification, would go into making books where
1: you don't hear what people think about it for like a a year. That aspect of it is is different and a little bit, it's the opposite of instant gratification, but it's... Basically, it's okay because they give you money for it. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. true. Oh, you're quite welcome. It was lovely talking
0: with you. Thank you so much for coming, and I hope to hear
1: from you soon. Thanks so much. Bye.